Hello and welcome to the Good, the Dad and the Ugly, the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm Seth, a new dad, and on each episode you'll hear me and my good pal Jamie, hello, who's also a new dad, as we chat with our special guest each month about everything that comes with modern day fatherhood. Along the way, you'll also get the latest highs and lows and thrills and spills as Jamie and I foray further into these unfamiliar, joyful and often choppy waters. Choppy waters. Choppy waters. Choppy waters. Choppy waters. Hello and welcome to episode nine of The Good, The Dad and The Ugly, the Fatherhood podcast. This is Seth and I'm here with Jamie again. Hiya. We've got another special, special guest for you today. Who who is your daddy and what does he do? He goes by the name of Mark Harris. (laughs) He's got many claims to fame for the purposes of this podcast. One being uh, that he's an independent midwife, a male midwife, and he's also uh, an author, published author of a book, Men, Love and Birth, and the a father as well of six and a grandfather of nine. I think that makes him the first granddad we've had on yes. the podcast. <laughs> well done. Hi, Mark. Hello. Good to be here. You've just come down from Leicester, right? Yes. How was the trip? You were saying before that you find in London... Uh, Guys, I don't come to London very often. Yeah. And I got here early and had two beers, which is always potentially fatal. And it's perfect for this podcast. When you don't drink very often. And I was sitting outside the coffee shop just looking at people and, and, and from time to time smiling. And it's, it's, it's really intriguing the effect it has on those that receive the smile. <laughs> because they're not sure whether to smile back or not. Yeah, so, don't do that in London. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm learning. Yeah, so you come down from Leicester. Yeah. But you're originally from... I'm from Dunstable, near okay. Luton. Yep. Uh, lived in Leicester for 23 years. In fact, well, 24 years. I moved to Leicester in order to train as a midwife. I trained as a general nurse at Luton Dunstable Hospital. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that I'm intrigued about is just the whole notion of a male midwife. Oh, I, yeah. I wasn't... I mean, I think I, I kind of knew that it was a thing. Yeah. But it's obviously not a very common thing. 48,000 midwives in the country at the moment. And currently on the NMC register, there's 121 men out of 48,000. When I started, there were 38,000 midwives and 51 men. So very unusual. In fact, the old joke is that I walked into the birth room, because back then I was 28 stone plus. So so I walked into the birth room and the woman said, I called the midwife, not security. (laughs) And I go, I am the midwife. She goes, security. (laughs) When I walked into the birth room for the first time and I saw a woman giving birth, it was like being confronted with the power of the feminine to birth from within. And as a man watching on, of course, I had no idea what it's like to experience the world as a woman. And birth for me was always that kind of mystery. And I realized as a midwife, my job was to be transparent in the room, which yeah. ain't easy when you're 28 stone plus, but to be transparent in the room and point to the source of birthing power which is inside a woman. How did you get into it? Well, it's funny you should say that. I was a second-generation mod and got kicked out of school at 15 and was running with a really dodgy group of blokes and uh, doing loads of speed at the weekend. We used to steal Sainsbury's trolley handles. Why? Well, we would stitch them into the lining of our nuclear fallout parkers. So if we got into a ruck with skinheads, we'd be just 
using our parkers. <laughs> it's very inventive, to, actually. Well, I, I thought it's pretty inventive, and <laughs> and I, I I I regret the violence in all of that. I don't regret the camaraderie and the experiences. But something happened at the age of eighteen, and I can't really put my finger on it. I kind of woke up and thought there must be more to life than this, right? Yeah. I was enjoying it, but I couldn't imagine looking back on my life. I wanted to do something. So I kind of decided looking after others would be a good thing to do. And I had no qualifications. And back then you could sit the general nurse council test. And I sat that and passed and became a nurse. Right. That was fine until I qualified. And suddenly I was being pulled into being a manager. By then we had, we had five children under six and a half, my late wife and I. Wow. So, you know, things were getting quite chaotic. Five, sorry, hang on. Five children under six and a half. I know. That's and we pla- we kind mad. of planned it apart from the last one. We just kind of wanted a big family. Yeah. So the last one wasn't planned. No, he Joe was a birth condom and he knows it. <laughs> I say to him, we haven't got a birth certificate, Joe, for you. We got an apology note from Jurek. <laughs> <laughs> and Diane was diagnosed with cancer the first time back then as well. And right. we were homeschooling all of those five wow. said children. It's like the Brady Bunch. I know, it's mad. My five biological children never went to school at all. Right. So. So, For what reason? Why did you? Well, my oldest daughter, Amy, uh, she's got a label of Asperger's now, mm. but we didn't know at the time. And she went to school and she was finding school very difficult in terms of fitting in and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it came to a head when she got shouted at once by a teacher and put into the Wendy house as a discipline. And we thought, fuck it, we're, we're not having that. So we took her out. And when all the other children arrived so close... Diane said, well, I'm not walking up to school uh, every day for all of them. Yeah. So they all came out. And we were autonomous homeschoolers. So that means that we didn't teach them actively anything. We let their learning develop as they chose to pursue various different things. Okay. So all that was going on. I was finding nursing progressively, um, it wasn't kind of giving me that kind of reward I wanted. And my mate was the first male midwife ever in Warwickshire, Dave Smith. And he rang me up and he said this. He said, Mark. I said, what, Dave? He said, midwife. I said, you're making no sense. He said, it's a verb, not a noun. I said, Dave, are you stoned? He said, no, it's a, he's wrong etymologically, but it worked for me for years. He said, midwife comes from the Middle English, mid to be with and wife, woman. He said, you can't be a midwife without being with the very people that you're looking to serve and support. It's not a noun. It's not gender specific. It's who you're being. Right. And he said, give it a go. I think yeah. you'll love it. And he was, he was right. I was hooked. What was it that attracted you like, to it? That- well, it was, it was the idea that as a nurse, uh, you know, I was a professional as a nurse, but I was more managing care and managing caregivers. <laughs> As a midwife, the idea that I couldn't be a midwife without being with the very people that I'm there to support yeah. just intri- it kind of in- inspired me. Right. It turns out you can be a midwife without being with women. Mm. And we've got a service that is totally under-resourced with midwives doing their very best to give the best care they can. But there's not enough of them and there's not enough funding. Right. But that's what attracted me. And what do you, what's the just, I mean, I, I guess the main question that you'll probably ask, I could be wrong, but the first question that comes to mind, when you walk into the delivery room yeah. and the woman sees you for the first time, yeah. how many of, the, I, I mean, I'm sure you get a lot of, uh, who the fuck is this? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, do you get 
women asking for someone else? Or well, how did, do you kind of I, like placate I, them in that? I did most of my practice in the NHS in Leicester, the most multicultural uh, city in the country. I think 100,000 of the population are from the Gujarat or from, from uh, you know, Asian backgrounds with a big proportion of Muslims. And there was only two male midwives in the building at the time, and we had a policy. First of all, a woman would be introduced to the idea in principle of a man. If they said yes to that, then I would walk in, 28 and a half stone, do you know what I mean? And then I would spend about 20 minutes chatting, and then I would say, look, I appreciate you allowing me to be in the room, but if you'd prefer not to have me look after you, I won't take that personally. You know, that'll be fine, I'll understand. And I had very, very few refusals at that point. See, so, I'd take that. Well, I would take that personally. But would I you? Think that's just, yeah, I think that's just the kind of. I probably I would have there. done. It was just probably <laughs> rhetoric. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't have many occasions when I'd gone through that process. You know, for faith-based reasons, uh, most of the Muslim clients wouldn't have had me as, sure. as a midwife, yeah. or, or a male obstetrician, for that matter. Right. You know, so I, I think the women who who have suffered abuse at the hands of men who report it are the tip of the iceberg. I, I mm. think there's a big, a bigger portion of those women that maybe don't feel they have the power to express that. And the idea that I would be looking after someone that didn't feel they had the power to say no, right. you know, that put me, I was really sensitive to that. Yeah. Because we swim in a patriarchal sea, don't we? Let's be totally honest. It's still a fucking man's world. And if you look at birth institutions, the institution of birth has been ransacked by a male way of looking at the world. Yeah, yeah. Still is. You know, you know the stages of labor are made up. Yeah. And we've forgotten we, we made them up, and now we believe them like they're fucking true. Right, mm. yeah. You know, but birth as a narrative is a very feminine understanding. Birth unfolding as it does cannot be controlled. But the masculine energy, when confronted with feminine power, either seeks to control it or just worships it. Mm. And what we see in our institutions are institutions that have been crafted by a male way of seeing the world, right. without a doubt, in God. my opinion. Well, yeah. so I, I, one of the questions that I had was whether you think that being a man it gives you like like some kind of special, not necessarily special, but like unique insight into midwifery. I don't think it does. I, I think what has enabled me to survive over 25 years is having a real a kind of understanding of the feminist literature and the power, the kind of power struggle inside the structures of birth. That's helped me to, to survive. Yeah. And also an evolutionary biological understanding of how the male and the female of the species seem to evolve differently in terms of our structures. Right. So I know the Google guy got kicked out for suggesting something very similar recently. Yeah. But, you know, we've only had language and a neocortex for 200,000 years. We probably only had language for 20,000 years. So before we had language, we were just an animal. We were just a species of mammal surviving inside our ecology. <laughs> That's it. God, we've gone deep. Yeah, no, we, is that too deep? deep? Deep. Is that too deep? No, no, no. That's you, good. You know, you know, like, I mean, I don't understand a word of it. Oh. But, you know, no, <laughs> well, you know, you know about the amygdala and the limbic system. The amygdala in sure. in, in, in the mammal <laughs> is responsible for four Fs. Oh, it's like your lizard. Yeah, your lizard four, side. Four right? Fs: fight, flight, freeze, and reproduction. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that part of our brain has been in evolutionary development for millions of years. 
All right, and we still have that at work in us now. Our ability to tell a story about that is very young. Mm. So the distinctivenesses between men and women of our species are ancient. You know, the narrative now would suggest uh, stuff like patriarchy and feminism. But before that, we were just mammals responding as males of the species and females of the species. Right, yeah. Mm. So, and that has a very big impact on birth and on how we handle stress. So... Those things have informed me as a, as a midwife, as a male midwife. That kind of brings me on to your, your book, Men, Love and Birth. Yeah. I read it and I thought there were parts of it which were like amazing. I thought were, you know, kind of gave me a very different sort of look as to, you know, as to what Nat was going through and how I could be present, which I guess is kind of the main objective of it. Theme of that book, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of in two parts, this book, isn't it, really? Yeah. You kind of have the kind of the, the theory and, and, and then you kind of go into a bit of a conversation, a, a conversation which is kind of, I mean, it, it was that kind of, <laughs> for me, for me reading that bit, I didn't find that bit as helpful as the first bit, but I can see why people were, because it's quite like pub- <laughs> Some people, guys around a table some, in a pub. some people like it. All the boys' names in there are my sons and grandsons, right. by the way. Okay. But it's an eclectic. I mean, they're all questions I've been asked in yeah. face-to-face groups. Yeah. So, and, and what I did, I tried to, uh, it's not a laddish book in no. any way, although there was swearing in there's it. Banter, and, there? yeah, there's, there's banter, isn't there? Yeah, there's bants. Yeah, bants. <laughs> there's bants. You know, if, if, if you look at the, the physiology of how men and women handle stress differently, it's very interesting. In the context of stress, a man is seeking a testosterone hit. Mm. In the context of stress, a woman is seeking an oxytocin hit. So you get groups of men together, you get the mild edge of challenge yeah. and bants yeah. because it stimulates a testosterone response. Right. You know, So yeah. you get women together, it's a very different vibe. I would argue that's rooted in our evolutionary adaptive mm. development over millions of years. For example... Between the two hemispheres of the brain, evolutionary biologists suggest that a woman, the corpus callosum is thicker and she has upwards of 14 connecting points. Us four, on average, two connecting points. So we need, mate. And a thinner, yeah, yes and no. I get it. So, but that has implications. So a woman is making connections across the hemispheres. She's getting a hit of oxytocin in the talking. See, talking isn't heading towards an objective for most women. In us, usually our talking is heading towards an objective and an outcome Mm. because we are looking for a testosterone here in order to relieve our stress. You see, those two connecting points for us when we were hunter-gatherers, let's assume we adapted different muscle mass, different perceptual filters because we were hunting, Yeah. right? So if, if I was out hunting and I saw a tiger print and I went, is that Indian or Bengal? I'm fucking toast. Yeah. I come from a long line of jumps to conclusions about risk, right? Likewise, she, when she was making connections across the hemispheres, raising the, the hormone of connection, oxytocin, making connections with other female tribe members, she was protecting herself against a larger aggressor mm. through being able to make connections amongst the women of the tribe. So it, these adaptations have been in formation for years and they're still here. So my two connections served me when I was a hunter-gatherer, but now my wife is telling me about a problem. Mm. And she's telling me about it, and it's morphing into a different problem. And she's telling me it from a different perspective. Mm. And as she's talking, she's raising her oxytocin, and she is feeling good. I'm sat over here. I've already jumped to conclusions about what the outcome should be. And I go, darling, I understand. I go, understand. And she goes, how can you fucking understand? I don't understand.
So I was at the NCT and oxytocin came up and I was going on about it because I'd, I'd probably read that chapter yeah. the night before and I was being so sort of like knew exactly <laughs> what it was. But people don't no. really know what it is until they're kind of yeah. told. So do you want to just kind of give well, a brief kind of explanation to what oxytocin is? Oxytocin... It's, it's quite a trendy hormone, really, because we, we know that it's the, the hormone responsible for connection, the hormone responsible for affection. And do men have it as well? Do, yeah, yeah. yeah. Men, and, men and women have the same hormones in their bodies as each other. Do you know, we were all female before eight weeks. Yep. And then yep. The, the clitoral head, which is not just the hood, the clitoris extends round the vagina and back. In us, it became penis and testicles so we have the same hormones in our body they just dance in different ways right uh, so oxytocin is a hormone responsible for connection and bonding and all that kind of stuff and the community feeling uh, it's also responsible uh, in a woman for uh, sexual release so when a woman is released sexually and if she's lucky has an orgasm her body is awash with oxytocin in fact, one obstetrician, uh, Michelle O'Donnell, has said that orgasm and birth are one event separated by time. Right. The family of hormones responsible for a woman releasing herself sexually are the same family of hormones responsible for the birthing process and breastfeeding, funny enough. Is that why they say that that's, you know, when, you know, you're over overdue, that a shag is a... Well... Yes. See, that's bollocks, isn't it? No, not completely. <laughs> let, let, not completely. Well, so, so in the old days, we used to say, if you ever, you know, have a jump, right, mm. um, that any friction on the woman's cervix, which is the opening to the uterus, causes the pituitary gland to release the hormones responsible for starting the birth off. Right. Uh, most men's knobs ain't going to reach that far. Let's be frank. The other part of sorry. Well, no, that's fine. <laughs> the, 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 the other thing is that semen has something called prostaglandin in it, which again is a hormone responsible for starting the birth off. The prostaglandin in sperm is not, um, uh, in terms of its me molecular structure, is not the same. So the important component when it comes to starting the birthing process off is a woman being released sexually. So if she's going to be released sexually through penetration, great, but a lot of women are not up for penetration at that stage of the birth, you know, the, sure. of the pregnancy. So her probably best to get a rabbit out. Okay. Mm. And that's not a real, that's not an actual, actual rabbit. No. That's no. a, um, a popular sex toy. Absolutely. Made popular by Sex in the City, I think. Really? I think so. I might be wrong by that. Uh, about anyway, that, yeah. probably right. So a woman being orgasmic probably will, but let's be honest, overdue in terms of pregnancy is right. a totally made up phenomenon. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah and, and, that. Why is that? What do you mean? The idea of a woman being overdue yeah. for birth is just a made up phenomenon. Okay. So, based on some work of a woman called Mary Hannon. Oh, uh, Hannon. Mary Hannon. Hannon. New Zealander. Oh, oh they're the worst. She, she suggested that when a woman gets to term plus 14, which is 42 weeks, yeah. the placenta becomes less efficient at keeping the baby oxygenated. Mm. So the woman is more likely to have a cesarean section. And this works based on mass numbers. You know, so it's an epidemiological study. For, for me, of course, our institutions have to go on some evidential base. And, and most of the studies are based on mass population mm. studies and yeah. then give us proportional type representations of what the risk is. And there's a problem with that in terms of the evidence because it doesn't really tell you what's going to happen 
to your partner. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, Bill Gates, you know, moved into my town, and the average salary of everyone in that town is now five million. Mm. But we don't feel the effects of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Your yeah. average doesn't exist anywhere outside of a statistical way of seeing the world. Yeah. So although it's good to be informed by the idea of the baby being in their inverted commas too long, most babies would come eventually given sure. time and patience. I think the important thing to realise is the monitor of the baby's well-being is the woman herself from the inside out. Her being aware of the baby's movements and her overall sense of well-being yeah. is the key factor when it comes to monitoring the baby's well-being. And let's be frank, I think once you get to 40 weeks plus two weeks, 42 weeks... A woman wants to be aware of her body and make sure that the movements are present in a way that she has peace about because, you know, the placenta will begin to reach its sell-by date at a certain point. Sure. So I'm not saying the evidence is to be disregarded. Sure. I'm just saying we've got an institution that now applies it like it's the law. Yeah. Right. But there's, there's so much bollocks, isn't there, about, Total. about what's accepted. You know, Nat was 42 weeks. And, you know, and she didn't, I mean, she didn't look it, but like, you know, she was feeling it definitely. And the amount of shit that people, I've covered this before, people tell you of ways to get a baby out. Yeah, it's like, I mean, is there anything? Like, can you say categorically there no. is? No, there isn't. Well, I, or being orgasmic. Sexual release has a link to the physiology. Yeah, you know, people say raspberry leaf tea, yeah, uh, moksha candles or whatever, and all this kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not knocking. I'm not knocking it in one sense because old wives' tales, inverted commas, does have its its roots in people's felt experience. Mm. Right. Because let's be honest, evidence that the science never arrives at the truth. Mm. It only ever arrives at correlations between effects that need testing yeah. inside my personal experience and inside our group collective experience. There's no truth in science. Yeah. Never arrives at the truth. We still need to ask questions about the conclusions that we come to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I wouldn't knock it. Mm. But then again, I wouldn't necessarily be advocating that, that people try to start a process that we don't really know. What yeah. starts the birth? We really don't know what starts the birthing process off. Yeah. Well, that's actually, that brings us quite nicely onto, we've got some, um, we thought we'd look into some myths oh, yeah. about childbirth and pregnancy. And we want you to kind of bust some of these. Myths. Yeah, debunk them or tell us they're kind of. Their... Or say, I've got no idea. Like we asked Twitter as well, and um, we had some people get back to us. And this was quite a good one from at almost sane mum or mom. Um, if you get acne while pregnant, it means it's a girl because she's stealing your beauty. Bollocks. Bollocks. Okay. Yeah, because of the hormone, sure? be, because, because, <laughs> because of the massive hormonal changes in a woman's system, some women experience problems with their skin and, yeah. and with their complexion. But that's nothing to do with some the women radiate. It's yeah. got nothing to do with whether you're having a boy or girl. Okay, that's a no. Seth, have you got one? Well, I've got one about pineapples, which we sort of already. It, it, it does have a small amount of natural oxytoxin in it, but not enough to have. An effect. What it probably does, if you eat loads of it, is give you diarrhea. Yeah. And when a woman and has the bowels, well, well, when a woman has diarrhea, it can irritate the uterus and start the birthing process off. Okay, which is probably behind the myth so, of castor oil and curries. 
So um, irritating the, the uterus is a good plan. <laughs> no! No! Yeah, I'm, anal I'm sex. Are you going down the anal sex route? <laughs> hey. <look. laughs> I'm, I'm not going to judge anyone. <laughs> okay, so that's a no as well. Okay, so this is one that we... like Because everyone loves to have their opinion on whether it's going to be a boy or girl. Because we didn't know... We didn't find out. Yeah, everyone didn't. had an opinion. And we were sure as well. So if your bumper is high and round, it's a boy. Low and wide, it's a girl. No. Bollocks? In my opinion. Yeah. Okay. No evidence to suggest That's that. Annoying. Same with heart rates. Is the heart rate slightly faster and slower? Some midwives say. Yeah. See, that's what I heard. Bollocks. They can it's got to be bollocks because if it was true, they would have proven it already, right? Yeah, there's no some evidence for it. They've proven it. Yeah, but some midwives Some midwives swear, swear by that. By it. That's what oh, I mean. God, yeah. They say, like, the only thing you yeah. can really judge it on is heart, heart rate. rate. Yeah, there's no evidence for it. Okay. Yeah. Although I wouldn't knock, you know, experience of midwives over time. Obviously, they're witnessing a pattern over time yeah. that they feel no, validated. this is from your experience. I'd say bollocks. Yeah, bollocks. Okay, good. Right, yeah. bollocks. Um, oh, the next one's quite good. What? So, okay. Oh, it, so, if you have sex close to when you ovulate... It's more likely to be a boy because boy sperm swim faster than girl sperm. <laughs> oh, well, that's got to be true. That now, sounds so ridiculous. See, see, there are there are practitioners that do something called natural family planning methods. In the old days, we used to say, "What do you call someone that uses natural family planning methods?" And the answer is parent. But anyway, right, yeah, that, yeah. That there is a, a kind of the science does suggest that there is a, a time to conceive in the period of ovulation that can guarantee you one sex or the other but that's not an area of expertise to me right. friends of mine that practice that would say yeah you the timing of conception and a woman would have to know her cycle to the point of taking her temperature regularly and checking the viscosity of her vaginal some people do that though yeah oh, absolutely yeah absolutely so I, I can't answer categorically on that but there okay. is there is There's a practice some, uh, around Okay, that. right. Well, that, that's good. I didn't think we'd get any. I thought yeah. all of these would be yeah. bollocks, to be honest with you. So well, that's the next good. one's got to be true, surely. Eating strawberries whilst pregnant gives your baby a strawberry birthmark. Absolutely. Absolutely true. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, no, yeah. I take that as bollocks as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this one is a bit more of a serious one. Concerns drinking while pregnant. Yeah. It, I mean, obviously the advice is now... Not to drink at all. For the woman, yeah. we should say. Like, for the, yeah, yeah, of course. Blokes get smashed every night. Yeah. <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's a tricky one. I mean, I'm an independent midwife, but I'm still bound by the Nursing Midwifery Council because sure. I'm on the register. So the advice that your NHS midwife will give you is abstinence. I, I mean, up until only about three years ago, we were saying two units a week. Right. Uh, what's made, a unit? Like, what's a, uh, like it's a, a glass of wine, isn't it? A pint and a glass of wine. Yeah, yeah, something like that. A tall okay. glass of wine. Um, there is an argument that says that that amount, two units a week, may well aid with perfusion and circulation, all that kind of stuff. But the, the kind of kosher uh, NHS advice is abstinence. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll go with that. I feel like well, that's I, a safe answer. From, an, from, an, from a registered midwife's point of view, that's going to be what, what, I, what I'm going to yeah. say. But before the current evidence, we were saying two units a week. Yeah. Smoking's a bigger issue. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Oh. Well, I think that's. I think everyone knows that smoking's. Yeah, although the big, I'll tell you what people don't. I'll tell you what people don't take into consideration when a woman's pregnant, her her physiological response to nicotine is more profound. Yeah. All right, so she finds it harder to stop smoking. Right. All right. And don't forget, she's probably having one of the most potentially stressful times of her life and we're asking her to stop smoking yeah. so the amount of women I've looked after who they're not even 
rubbing a nut on their skin, mm. let alone drinking soft cheese, but that's sorry, eating soft cheese, but they're struggling to stop smoking. Mm. And women need support with that. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I'm a vapor myself. I'm an ex-smoker who now vapes. Oh, you're one of them. Yeah, I am. Oh, you I am. Vaping, vaping isn't smoking. It has yeah. a zero. Imp- Hold on. <laughs> N- NHS England, Public Health England tell us that vaping has a zero impact on air quality. So I could do it in here without affecting any of you. But this is the point I'm making. When it comes to a pregnant woman, it's the carbon dioxide in the smoking that is binding to the hemoglobin and having an impact on the forming baby. If a woman is struggling to stop smoking, she should vape. Right. She should vape. Because in the context of smoking, vaping decreases harm by about 98%. And has a zero impact on air quality. If there's a father out there who wants to stop smoking before the baby's coming, because we know smoking has an impact on the potential for a baby to have sudden infant Mm. clot death syndrome, Mm. start to vape, mate. And go to a decent vape shop, get your nicotine up, get your buzz, and you will pack up smoking. And that will have a big impact on the future health of your child. Okay, cool. Um, There ends the myth-busting session. So um, thanks for that. So sort of currently there's been a few kind of interesting kind of talking points about, you know, women in, in male dominated industries, yeah. like particularly like Silicon Valley is one that comes to mind. And, you know, investment banking is, is a kind of a, mm. a more established kind of story. I just wondered like, what's your perspective of, of being a man in a, in a female dominated industry? What are your experiences mm. of that? I, I by and large had, had good experiences. I think midwives, by and large, certainly those that are politically aware, uh, are aware that the institutions around birth have been very influenced by men. If you look at when men came into nursing, you know, very quickly men kind of rose up into leadership and management positions. Um, And that that, that tends to be resented by the female population. So I think when I first went into midwifery, the expectation was, oh, we won't be around on the ground floor for very long. Uh, But it wasn't long before I was just immersed in the feminist literature and I was really beginning to see the power of the feminine birthing and how men had really, to some extent, influenced the system in a poor way and I stayed as a kind of a rank and file midwife without progressing through the ranks for 15 years because it was where I I wanted to be so I'd say early on there was a lot of kind of antagonism towards me should I have a chaperone or not and all that kind of stuff Um, but very early on it settled down and what would you say the like the best you know, the best and worst aspects of it are. Like, Our birth know. is the best aspect of it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember being at a birth once and there was a woman under 20. She had a brother there, a bit strange, no, but it's her really. choice. Yeah. She had a dad there, mum there, partner yeah. there, sister there. And she's in the rocking chair, right, giving birth. And I'd long since gave up touching anything. So you just let the baby come out, right? right yeah. And she's rocking backwards and forwards and the head is coming up. She's got James Brown in the background singing, I feel good. Dun, dun, dun. And the head bobs up, pops back and it crowns and eventually the baby came out and she's the first to touch the baby. And dad's crying and I'm crying and brother's crying and James Brown's singing, I feel good. <laughs> and you know, it's in those moments that you just feel alive. Yeah, and yeah. The time stops. And you just lost in that moment. 
So birth is, is, is definitely the highlight and seeing women do that. I mean, on the downside, very rarely... Uh, do babies die in the context of birth? I know we hear lots in the media about how dangerous birth is, but relatively birth isn't. Yeah. And and in my 20-year career, it's been very rare that I've worked with parents that have suffered bereavement. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's the kicker with it. But But having said that, there's something about offering people kind of empathy and compassion in that context, which is rewarding mm. but how do you process it sort of the downside how do you internally process because it's you know obviously you've got to walk away from the situation yeah and, you know well for, for me i i think that, that some of my midwifery colleagues would say it's unprofessional to express your own emotions mm. in the context of being with someone who's grieving my own my own opinion is that the very best midwives share who they are as a person with so you, there's a sharing of personhood. So I remember looking after a woman who had twins at 25 weeks, and they both came out and they both died. And I remember just weeping with them in that context. Mm. So, so, so for me, it's kind of allowing those emotions to to come out and mm. being reflective about it, really. Okay. Okay, that's the end of part one. We'll be right back after this. So, Mark, as well as um, being a midwife and as well as having a book out and as well as being a father of six, you also run an online course, Birthing for Blokes. Tell us I, a bit about that. I do. Well, after my late wife died, um, it's about eight, eight or nine years ago now. It sounds melodramatic, but she kind of died in my arms in the front room where two of my boys were born. And I, I kind of woke up in that moment. I realised that life wasn't going to be better when you know I've kind of been mm. living in a place where I thought life would be better when I lose weight life would right. be better when I have more money and I realised fucking hell life isn't going to be better when because life never turns out anywhere other than the moment I'm in yep. and I started to think back to those times in my life where I felt really connected to the work that I was doing you know at this stage I'd left midwifery for a while and, and I realized it was in the context of birth where I really felt connected to humanity and to other people. And I realized I, I could potentially make a contribution to men in that context through providing them preparation, you know, getting, because over the years I've been a midwife, over 22 years, I've heard men say they felt left out, they felt powerless. Mm. I had one guy crying on my shoulder telling me that at the time he wanted to protect her, he felt completely emasculated mm. in the context of the birth environment so about a year after diane died i started doing face-to-face programs uh, with men and and now i kind of um have developed a program that's available online uh, birthingforblokes.com it's a six video program that's delivered over time with loads of other resources so that's what i do now amazing so what it like just very briefly, what's the kind of the, the, the courses? What does that kind of the, the six video courses? What do they kind of take you through well, as a as a kind of yeah? They kind of deal with the, the evolutionary biology around birth because I think when a man begins to understand some of the distinctivenesses between the male and the female of the species that's that's rooted in our mammalian history, some aspects of the relationship begins to make more sense. Yeah, yeah, you know, because I, I can only experience the world through a male neurophysiology. I have no intuitive understandings of what it is to be a woman. 
Yeah. I just don't get it. You know, it doesn't. And that's because I don't experience the world. Um, I experience the world through a masculine neurophysiology. So the course explores some of the differences between male and female physiology and then seeks to kind of unpack what's going on inside a woman as she's pregnant and giving birth and how a man can facilitate that whole process and be supportive, particularly in the context of the birth itself. So that's what the, the program seeks to do. And what was the, the address of the, the website? Oh, it's, it's birthingforblokes.com, number four. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what's the cost of the Oh, well, yeah. Program? If you buy the program online, it's £97. Pounds. Okay. Uh, it's six videos, loads of written content, loads of extra stuff. And uh, we're going to give you guys a code. Yeah. So for the next uh, four weeks, you can get 35% off that. Amazing. Yeah, and the code is uh, b for b Ugly good. B ugly. B for B. B for B. Number ugly four. Good. Ugly good. Ah. Who's the ugly and who's the good? Ah, uh, the two of us here. So, yeah, um, so for oh, amazing. Months, we're, we're offering your listeners only 35% off of that. Oh, that's brilliant. Thanks. And well, get on that, I'd say. Just jump on that. So B for B, good, ugly. Ugly good. Ugly good. <laughs> B for B, ugly, ugly good. good. I'll get there in the end. <laughs> B for B. Ugly good. Seth, we should probably talk about um, what's going on with um, with Eliza, right? Because you've just done a bit of a big holiday, right? It was my first day back in the office today, but I've actually been on um, shared parental leave. For how long? Um, well, so far it's been uh, about two and a half weeks, I think. But then I'm, I'm back at work for just a week and a half, and then I'm on parental leave again for another month, I think it is, wow. roughly. So what I'm doing now is um, is this shared parental leave, which is Brilliant. a relatively new thing. I, I, I haven't actually looked into the details of it, but I think it's you know a new thing uh, whereby obviously you'll know that mums are entitled to, if you're employed, um, up to a year. Yeah. And whatever they don't take now, dads can take. Brilliant. So I've been, yeah, in total, I think I've been off work for about two months. And it's just, yeah, it's been really great to spend time with Eliza obviously um but yeah I'm back in the office today which is obviously not quite as fun how did that feel after sort of two weeks with her and it's you know I really yeah it's quite a strange sort of experience like Mm. I really sort of missed you know hanging out with her yeah basically and then we're doing this tonight so when I get back this evening she'll be asleep see that's what I'm yeah that's what I'm finding as well it's kind of like the she's doing like because Matilda, my daughter's two no two months or it was two months on Saturday, and she's doing all these crazy things now, like the first of this. And, yeah. But now having gone back to work, missing, I'm kind of missing quite a lot. Of it. And I go back, and it's kind of like you know, I don't really, you know, I, I kind of see her when she's kind of entering the witching hour, mm. when she's kind of getting all grumpy and that. So, mm. so that's a bit. Of a, so that must be quite like for you having had two weeks of solid. Yeah, it is. But I mean, you know, I've got to look on the on the bright side of it. I'm going to have some some more quality time coming up um you were having also you were worried um well not worried but you were saying there was concerns over her weight and and yeah is that is that still the case or what's going on there yeah well no she's she's basically she's small baby she was um she was six pounds 10 ounces i think when she was born which isn't that small no seven 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 is national average right so so it wasn't tiny but like then she um she's basically stayed on the second percentile since she was um since she was born and every time we go in to 
uh, see the the kind of health um, person get away and stuff. Okay. They're always they always ask a bunch of questions about like what she's eating and stuff, and yeah. sort of give the impression that they're concerned about it. But I mean, she's perfect to us. She seems perfectly healthy. So yeah, I don't know whether like whether we're so we've and so this sort of period in time coincides with sort of the beginning of kind of weaning and stuff. So we would on doing the baby led weaning thing, yeah, which is finger foods. And yeah. Like giving her stuff to, to try herself. Stuff, yeah. Um, but so the last time I went in to get a weighed, the, um, the person there suggested that we, you know, feed her with a spoon as well. Um, and I don't know whether we should be doing that or well, you want my opinion. This yeah, is I mean, outside. This, this is, is outside. Sort of outside the, your... This is me as, a dad, a dad, dad. yeah. 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 I, 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 <laughs> attitudes around food, patterns around food are established very early in our lives, aren't they? Yeah. And uh, I, I think any focus on eating, the, the problem with the percentile charts is back to the discussion we were having about the average again. Yeah. There's no such thing, right? There's no such thing as, as, as the average. So she is developing at a, at a rate that suits her. And if she is physically well in every other way, you know, I, I would definitely not be pushing food on her if she doesn't want it. Sure. Okay. Definitely not. But, but that's given that she's physically well in every other way other than not putting on weight at this amorphous average. Mm. And there isn't a fucking average person anywhere on the planet, right? Yeah. Don't exist. Apart from you, sir. Yeah. Don't, well, don't exactly. exist, do they? Exactly. They don't exist. Surf so is bang I, average. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would be letting her develop her own habits around food. Baby-led baby weaning is certainly, uh, the evidence suggests, is the way to go. You know, we've got an obesity epidemic, you know, and there are all right, kinds yeah, yeah. of reasons for, for that, you know. Yeah. So My that's opinion. Good. So that's, okay, well, that's good. You can feel confident in that now. You can feel yeah, confident yeah. that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah? I do. What's, what's up with you then, Matilda? Um... Well, we went to a wilderness festival. Oh, yeah, of course. Did that. Yeah. As you may have heard from our... Um, our special. Our little baby white special. Yeah. Um, that was really good. Really good. She was... I mean, you know, this is the thing, like, Matilda sleeps a lot, like, and it's great, and I'm not, you know, and touch wood, it continues forever, um, but she's, like, from day one has slept through the night, pretty much, like, waking up, at, like... This morning she woke up at quarter past seven, having been put down at 11. That's the latest she slept. But anyway, and I definitely get the feeling that other mums and dads, friends of mine, are secretly waiting for the wheels to fall off a bit because loads of other parents speak to, are, you know, up at, you know, yeah. through the night. and But then we worked it out. We thought, well, we put her down at 11, she sleeps till five. Other yeah. parents, they their babies go to sleep at nine and up yeah. at like three. So Is your partner not- breastfeeding? Well, this is the thing I was going to say. She she is. We're, we're mixed feeding. Yeah. Because um, she just this this is the thing. Like the sleep is the the number one thing that people talk about. Yeah. And you know, we were told in NCT. You know, why do we say, "Oh, is she a good baby because she sleeps"? There's nothing good about that. It's good for you. But baby it's ain't not... it, baby. Don't even know it's a person yet. Yeah, exactly. So they're, so they're not manipulating. They're not being bad. They're not yeah. being good. They're not being naughty. Exactly. So. And I, I I I agree with that. But obviously, it's great for us because we're yeah, getting yeah. a full night's sleep and that. And so, yeah, it's making things you know considerably easier because we're not we're not tired, we're not yeah. you know that kind of thing. So, and I get why other you know other people we know are kind of <laughs> screwing yeah, about yeah, that maybe. Yeah. But you know, but there is the the whole feeding thing has been a bit of a struggle. Yeah, and it's kind of you know she's Matilda. It seems like she doesn't get that much from from breastfeeding she's just a bit of a lazy eater she's just yeah. kind of like you know but we're still doing it we're 
but it is, it's quite a struggle. So, so the last feed at night is usually a formula feed, right? It's both. We, she starts yeah. on, she goes on, on the breast, breast and, then formula. and then we top her up with yeah, yeah, formula, yeah. with a bottle of formula sort the, of thing. So. Yeah. I, I don't, for me, I, there's so much polarisation around mm. feeding. You know, for me, a way a woman uh, and her partner choose to feed their baby is the right way. Yeah. But in terms of the, the, the baby, the, the muscles involved with feeding from the breast are a different set of muscles than feeding from the bottle. Okay. So it's a conditioned response that, that often can lead to a baby early on being confused about, about feeding, which is why midwives will say, if you're going to breastfeed, only breastfeed for about two to six weeks because then those those muscle groups are well established in terms of the baby responding right so mixed feeding is, is cool and for some people it's a necessity but it can lead to problems with with feeding mm. but what happens with breastfeeding over time is as the stimulation reduces the supply reduces because yeah. it's a supply and demand network and i think right. that's what's probably happening here. yeah exactly i, I mean the, the reason we kind of went to mixed feeding wasn't through wasn't through choice it was basically matilda lost Forty uh, percent right. body weight within in the first four ten day, days. Four days. Yeah, yeah. So we were we were kind of taking to A and E, and they kind of like and we yeah, were expressing, we're doing all that, and you yeah. know, but yeah, hey, look, we got to do what you yeah. got to do, sort of thing. But yeah. um, so that's been a bit of a struggle. But other than that, like, yeah, she's she's great. She, as I said, she started to smile loads, and she's only two <laughs> months. Like, but, yeah, but again, I'm missing it. I'm getting all the pictures sent to me, so I'm kind of finding like I get home, as I said, and I I you know I feel like I've missed the whole day with her and seeing what she's doing and that's only going to get more like I'm, I'm sure I'll miss her first word or miss her yeah. walking for the first time you know that kind of mm -hmm. thing so I guess all dads go through that really and it, there's not really much I can do about that but um, shared parental leave shared parental leave exactly but whether or not we can afford to do that is another you know is another it's thing tricky, but, isn't it? um, but yeah what else have we done um, it's, it's funny I had a dad on, on the phone to me so I had dads ring me for kind of one to one stuff I had Dads ring me about um, post-traumatic stress syndrome symptoms after a birth that they've witnessed that was traumatic to them. Mm. And I had a man phone me last week uh, because he's just not feeling any love towards the baby at all. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, just none. That's so sad. He's just not feeling it. Yeah. You know, oh, you know what? Because I, I, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, it's, I, I think that's actually quite kind of um, uh, like encouraging is the wrong word, but like, I'm impressed that that he sort of admitted that. Yeah, he got because referred. To, he got I referred think, to me. I think a lot of like parents, like but probably particularly dads, like have like you're kind of taught to believe that when you have a child, you're instantly like in love with this little thing. But yeah. the, the reality is, it's like you have no relationship until yeah. you kind of work at it. Yeah. So you, it's unrealistic to expect that you're just suddenly going to be overcome with yeah. kind of this this love. Yeah, you you work at it. Yeah. yeah. And of course, consciously or unconsciously, uh, the baby is supplanting the place that, that, that the male partner has, mm. has had. Because whether we like it or not, the mammal, we have the longest maturation period outside the uterus of any other mammal. So the maturation carries on outside the uterus. So the baby is dependent upon a primary caregiver. And that's going to be the mother in the main. Mm. Uh, and the baby becomes a center of focus for the woman. So a man is sometimes dealing with that, you know, yeah, the fact that yeah, he's yeah. not central in the relationship. He's probably not having as much sex, let's be frank. So how do you, what would be your advice to guys who kind of are maybe feeling like they're, you know, they're, they've been replaced, as it were, by, by the baby and feeling like oh, the, the relationship that you, 
you had like you know you know not in like a terrible way but just yeah. feeling a bit left out as it were yeah it's a tricky one for, for him I, I i was saying about making time for himself and it, it seemed very counterintuitive but i i was encouraging him to do those activities that for him made him feel better so yeah. for, for example he hadn't been seeing his best mate on a regular and i said you need to make some time for that the other thing that i encouraged him to do was to actually uh, do some baby massage mm. on the baby um i mean on the birthing for blokes website there's free videos and and kind of basic teaching on how to massage a baby and, and i think a man getting involved yeah. with baby massage is really cool yeah. you know two or three times a week spending seven to ten minutes with the hands on the baby with oil yeah. is a really cool way of making that connection because it does generate oxytocin in a man all right. And of course, a, wo a woman has an advantage with that because she's got the baby against her skin the whole time. And we know that skin to skin for a man is a good thing mm. uh, with a baby, but massage is good. And you can learn it on YouTube without having to spend a load of money on it. That actually brings me on quite nicely to the, the whole question of skin to skin. Yeah. Because we, this was something I was wondering with the feeding as well. We didn't really get skin to skin immediately when well, we. Your were, partner didn't? No. And it, yeah, that's the thing. And I kind of. Bollocks. I don't know. It, it, well, because the midwife, the midwife, she was great. She was amazing. But the one thing I kind of thought back to when we were having the, the trouble with her eating was that when she was born, she was immediately wrapped up in a towel and put on that in a towel. And that was wearing a gown. Yeah. So it was like gown, towel, you know, that kind of... And then I had a bit of skin to skin after, but only in the towel sort of thing. Yeah. So for me, it's not that big a deal. But I was wondering, is there, you know, is it... Is that a problem, not having that immediate skin to skin? We were doing it like that yeah. day later and, and days after, but that immediate skin to skin, is there something we missed out well, on? Well, if you, look at, if you look at the evidence, breastfeeding is more likely to establish if a woman has skin to skin with the baby immediately after the baby's born. In terms of ongoing issues with not having it, there aren't any long-term issues, in my opinion. Yeah. The, the evidence doesn't suggest there is. Where the weight of the evidence is clear... And it's a national guideline. Every every woman, where possible, should be offered skin to skin immediately after the baby's been born, and that should be unhurried skin to skin, mm. because there's issues around the microbiome forming, and there's issues around the early establishment of breastfeeding. Okay, but in terms of, I don't think you've got anything to worry about in terms of ongoing effects. Yeah, I just meant it like the 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 you know her reluctance to kind of. Yeah. She, I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Is that is yeah. that something that was maybe a bit... I don't know. I mean, why would she have not it, done it? it? That's the only thing in I In terms of losing 14% in the first... Yeah. Um, you, I mean, that's not usual. Yeah. So you have to have your eyes open to whether there are any other physical things going on. Because mm. babies establish brown fat in the last two weeks of being inside the uterus. And they do that because in the early days of feeding, um, the milk takes 72 hours to come in fully. So the babies are living off the brown fat. Mm. So every baby loses weight, right? Yeah. I mean, every baby, not normally 14% in the first four days. So your midwifery team were quite right to have their ears pricked and to be very uh, careful about monitoring her well-being. So. Mm. Okay, yeah. that's good. Uh, early feeding on formula will affect potentially long-term breastfeeding. I okay. mean, the evidence is clear as far as that's concerned. Mm. Okay. Well, I mean, Matilda's not like lacking in, in, in size. We had her weighed the other day and she's slap bang in the middle of average, your yeah. favorite word, and um, also is in the top 2% of height when it comes to uh, babies as well. Wow. Which I wonder is, where she gets that from. 
Yeah, I'm six foot five. So Are you six that, foot five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, uh, as soon as she came out, she had the longest legs, like ridiculously long legs. <laughs> and now she's like in the top 2%. So, um, Brilliant. So she's going to be a um, female basketball player, I've yeah. decided. Or as Nat or, says, a catwalk model. Or so. goalkeeper. Or goalkeeper. She doesn't have big hands. Ah. Uh, yeah, it's a shame. But yeah, as far as I'm, I'm kind of, another thing I'm kind of understanding is the routine. I never really got it before when friends right, would, yeah. you'd say your friends would be like oh we have to leave early because it's six o'clock and yeah. know. I'd be like oh, just let you just let him stay up a bit like what's yeah. the big deal like I honestly I genuinely was just I would sometimes be like you're, you're far ruining, too you're ruining things you're ruining my party yeah you know <laughs> you're ruining you're ruining this for me um, but no so I, I, I did wonder what that was all about and didn't really get it it was now I'm kind of getting it I'm yeah. getting that she needs to be fed at every you know yeah. every how many hours and, yeah. and so that's kind of delaying you know we're becoming those parents who turn up 45 minutes late and those were the kind of parents that I'd just be like just sort your shit out earlier <laughs> just literally if, it, if you know it's going to take you 45 minutes extra to leave the house start getting ready 45 minutes earlier Yeah, I mean, it doesn't work like that no. I've, I've kind of I'm kind of understanding that now so um so the many things that parenthood actually is actually teaching me is um yeah, yeah it's to not be a knobhead to other parents basically yeah actually on that topic, I kind of have a, a similar sort of question just about sleep training. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, again, this is probably falls into your experience as a, as a dad. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. No, hell no. Fuck no. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I, I, there's a, been a number of women who've written books on sleep training. It's bollocks. Okay. Think inside uh, us being mammals. Right. You know, and how we've evolved as mammals and hunter-gatherers particularly in the context of breastfeeding, the whole idea of sleep training is ridiculous. Uh, breast milk uh, is produced on the basis of a supply and demand. Uh, the baby st- goes to the breast, stimulates a supply from the pituitary gland and feeds. Right. Then the milk in the tummy stays there a very short period of time because it's tailor-made for the baby, it's digested easily. Right, yeah. So a breastfed baby needs feeding more often than a formula-fed baby because the formula sits in the tummy longer, okay. so a baby appears satiated for longer. So in the context of feeding, what, what happens is it's completely supply and demand. Prolactin levels go through the roof through the nighttime hours, and that peaks and troughs dependent upon the baby's growth. So the idea that you can train this baby to sleep to a pattern that suits you is fucking ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> In my opinion. And that ends that. <laughs> we had a question actually sent, uh, like tweeted in to us um, from that Dan Feeney. And he, I mean, this kind of follows on from what we were saying. B says, what are the best tips for supporting mum in the first three to six months in terms of her physical and mental recovery? Afterwards, that's a brilliant point. It's a totally brilliant point. You know, in this country, we have raising levels of postnatal depression and issues around mental health in women after the birth of the baby. I think one of the first things is being very aware of of your partner's emotional well-being and... um, being willing to support her in that. And, mm. and if she needs to see the GP because her mood isn't lifting, supporting that. I don't think the other stuff sounds a bit stereotypical, but being willing to be involved around the house and to do the kind of general stuff that needs doing. To have a sensitivity that her libido uh, may well take a while to recover. Um, 
Do you understand what, what I'm saying? Yep. The, the, totally. the idea that he may well want to be sexually intimate a lot sooner yeah. than she is. I, I think the other thing is, is being aware to, of her sensitivities when it comes to outside visitors yeah. in yeah. those early, early days and weeks. And also as that goes on, um, I feel like you talk I, about that in the book, and you say being like the gatekeeper to that. Yeah, kind of you know, like, you know, yeah, to friends and family coming over and yeah, invading. In in the context of him being aware of what she wants, mm. you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, and I think it's it's you know it's it's a it's not it's a. It's I'm a right. That I think a lot of a lot of guys kind of wonder is yeah. like, how can I, you know, yeah. be that support? Be well, that support. I'm right. In the, the next book is Men, Love, and Fatherhood, and it takes a man from the birth of the baby for the first three months. Yeah. So we'll be covering a lot of stuff, very practical stuff around how do you know when the baby's physically well? Yeah. Uh, how, what kind of color of nappies can you expect at various times? How do you know that the baby's fed enough when you're breastfeeding? Because, you know, if God was doing his job, there'd be a little perspective. Well, that's it. That's it. That's exactly, yeah. That's yeah a little... No joke. That's what we were saying. Like, yeah. When, when What's Nat going was, on? Yeah. When yeah. Nat was, we Nat were feeding her. Nap is a key. It was, but that's what we, that's what we were waiting for. But again, so we were, she was feeding, breastfeeding, but we didn't know if she was yeah. getting any because she was latching, doing no, all no, that. No. But we, we, she doesn't have a gauge on her breast no. to let us know. Um, and then we didn't know that the Pampers that we were using, there are other nappy brands available, available but, but have that yellow line down the middle yeah. that turns blue when it's wet. When it's wet. We didn't know this for the first 10 days. So yeah. we weren't, we were just kind of feeling yeah. inside again. Is that wet or is it just, you know? Yeah. But, and of course um, it won't feel wet with these well, modern the nappies. But if you don't know, no. if you don't know about this blue line thing. Well, I tell you, my... Put my, that in the book my about two, the blue line. Yeah, my two sons have just had babies. They couldn't give a fuck about what I did until they had these babies. Yeah, now I'm they're sure. on the phone every two hours, <laughs> leafing through my book as I'm they're sure. on the phone. But I went to see Ben the other day. He's an intelligent man. He's a he's a semi-professional f- footballer. And he's, he's got his baby with him. And he said, how on earth do I know whether the baby's warm enough? Baby was a week old. I said, well, feel the hands and feet. Feel, feel Cadell's hands and feet. He said, they're cold. I said, yes. Because mm. peripheral circulation isn't really that effective at this stage. Yeah. Feel down the baby grow to the core. And he went, oh, that's warm. That's the guide. Mm. Basic information that my intelligent son just wasn't aware of. Yeah. So I think that kind of stuff's important for us to definitely. be aware of as blokes. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Hey, look, I've got just very quickly, I think we're coming to the end of this recording. It's been great. But very quickly, we should. Oh, I had um, one of our reviews Ask for more um, dad tech. Dad tech. Dad right. tech. It's dad tech time. Awesome. So what I've got here, and I meant to do this last time, we kind of ran out of time and forgot. Now, what does this look like to you, Seth and Mark? What does that look like to you? Just looks like a, a white, white t-shirt. T-shirt. A white t-shirt, right? A bit of a trendy one. But well. Is it? I mean, it's nice. It's just a... Pl- so what I have in mind is a plain white t-shirt. But here, it's a bit of- this makes it different. I'm going to just hear that. It's a big Velcro <laughs> thing down the middle. Right. And what this is, is a Bondaroo. And it's... Um, hang on. I'm going to read the blurb. And uh, we got sent this by a guy called Nick Baker, who um, has started a company called Dadware. And um, as I said, it's called a Bondaroo. It comes in different colours. So this is just a plain white one. But basically what it does, it tries to encourage skin-to-skin bonding with dads. And so you put it on and then you have the baby in there and then you kind of do it up like that. So you 
can you don't have to be topless basically is what i'm saying right okay. so you kind of just have it on and then it velcros up and the velcro is basically tested to not irritate your baby so it's right. totally totally fine it's not scratchy at all like normal velcro and i'll read you what it says it says when we got Eva, this is what he wrote to me when I, when I found out about this and, and asked him if we could feature it. And he said, when we got Eva, his daughter home, I kept doing skin to skin bonding with no shirt on, laying around the house. Eventually I got sick of not wearing a shirt anymore, especially after an awkward run in with the mailman. I cut huge holes in old t-shirts so I could at least be hiding my newly acquired dad bod. So I came up with a rough design for an opening in a t-shirt that had a Velcro fastener and dad wear was born. I'm convinced that bonding made me a better dad. I think it can make other men better dads as well. Yeah. So it's got high technology Velcro brand hook and loop system that is safe for use around baby skin, super comfortable cotton, bamboo spandex jersey, and an awesome cut for the dad bod. Now, what do we think? Do you think this is something you'd wear, Seth? Um, I guess, yeah, I'm not opposed. I mean, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I think it's a great concept. Yeah. I mean, he's based in California. And he sent this over from there. I don't think, I mean, he's willing to ship to the UK. I should say where you can get this. You can get this from his website, which is dadware.us. And um, it's $44.99. Uh, dollars. So it's quite a bit, but I mean... What, for the t-shirt? Yeah. But it's got Velcro on it. Oh, that's all right. And also what they're saying is good for breastfeeding, with mums for breastfeeding. Yeah, I was going to say. That's what they're kind of like developing it to be as well. Right, okay. What's that like unisex wear? Well, kind of, yeah. You, you know, and I think it's really good. I, I have to but say. I want, so what I'm wondering about, so like it's, it's designed so that you can kind of sit around or lie down or whatever with the yeah. baby and then have a shirt on. But like if, I mean, it obviously doesn't support the baby. If you, no, it doesn't if you support the baby. No, up, no, no. It's not a. Um, it's not a sling. It's not like a sling dish. That would be. No, Hang it's on. not. It's not a sling. Don't put this it's in like... the podcast because we're going to patent that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the sling ting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the sling ting. Sling ting. Sling ting. Sling ting. Sling ting. Register your trademark. Sling ting. Sling ting. Sling ting. Sling ting. Do you guys baby wear? What do you mean baby wear? Do you wear your baby in a sling? Yeah, well, well, at the festa, at the wilderness festival. Very cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Very cool thing. Chicks love it when you walk around with a baby in a sling. Yeah, I remember that Friends episode. They find it adorable. (laughs) I'm not even joking. And yeah, do you know what? I wore this, and I've got a picture of it when um, Matilda's born. Uh, I wore it in the hospital to try it out. And we'll put a picture up on uh, Twitter or Instagram of me wearing it. And it is really comfy. It's really nice cotton here. Feel that. Yeah, have you have you washed it? I have, yes. Okay. Yeah. It's Are you sure? <laughs> it's quite it's like really soft. It's bamboo technology. And it's nice, right? It's all right. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a good idea. And it's kind of doing pretty well over in the States. And um and I think it's it'd be good for mums to wear it. And yeah, you just you do you know, you just wear it so you're not so you're hiding your modesty, really. So there, check it out, dadware.us. Okay, well I think that about wraps it up for episode nine of The Good, the Dad and the Ugly. Thank you so, so much, Mark, for coming on. Uh, Thanks, Jamie, obviously, as ever. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, of course, to you for listening and downloading and helping us with our podcast. And keep reviewing and rating the podcast. Yeah. Because that is so important, and I can't stress that enough. That gets us amazing guests like Mark Harris here to come and be on on our podcast if the reviews and the ratings are going in. So I just thought I'd get that out of the way. No, yeah, absolutely. On iTunes. On iTunes. And obviously, you know, continue to kind of follow us and get in touch via uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram 
Um, if you have questions about anything, we can kind of put to our guests. That's at Good Dad Ugly for all of them. For all of them. Yeah. Very sensible yeah. approach. And remember also, Mark has given you a 35% discount on his uh, Birthing for Blokes course, which uh, the website Birthing4, which is the number four, blokes.com. And the uh, code you need to enter, all capitals, B, number four, B, ugly, good. That's B4, B, ugly, good, all caps, 35% off. Do it, do it, do it, do it.